back, everybody. You're listening to Driving to the Basket, part of the Basketball Podcast Network. I am Mike, your host here today with my guest. This is Omari Sankofa II of the Detroit Free Press and one half of the Pistons Pulse Podcast. Omari, thanks so much for joining today. Mike, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, man. So I'm sure that the vast, vast majority of people listening to this podcast know who you are. But uh, just in case they do not, want to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, no doubt. Uh, this will be my third season covering the Pistons for the Detroit Free Press. It doesn't feel like it's been three years since that first season was sort of a hole in my head because of COVID. But, uh, <laughs> you know, believe it or not, this is year three. And you can find myself um, on Twitter, at Omari Sankofa. That's O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. And my work is at the Detroit Free Press at freep.com, F-R-E-E-P. Awesome, man. Yeah, I know uh, I, I know a lot of people love your content. I uh, love to read you on the Free Press, so everybody definitely check it out. Omar's a great writer. And then check him out in the Pistons Pulse, too. He and Bryce put, uh, put on a really good show. So uh, let's launch right into it. This is going to be, of course, a season preview episode. Uh, preseason starts on Tuesday, and super, super excited. Now, Omar, has it felt like this to you, too? I mean, Maybe not because you probably enjoy the the break from being on the road all the time. But this feels, I know to a lot of people, like it's been a really, really long off season. It has. It's the first, um, I guess, normal off season since before COVID. Uh, 2020, obviously, games were suspended um, in March. And then uh, the bubble took place late that summer, which the Pistons weren't involved in. Uh, so that wasn't really, that was technically an off season. But because of the pandemic, it didn't really feel like anything. It was just sort of its own thing. Um, yeah. And then last year, because um, that 2020-21 season got started late, everything was pushed back a month. So uh, last offseason was probably about a month shorter than uh, offseasons usually are. So this one, yeah, I mean, we got back to the practice facility on Monday. And it was just like, man, like it you know, feels like the first day of school. Like It feels like you got an <laughs> actual uh, full summer uh, where you're doing summer stuff and everything is uh, much more normal than it had been the last two years. And now we're back to the swing of things. So I've been uh, one week at camp so far. And again, just sort of first day of school vibes, but uh, I know everybody's excited for the season uh, for the uh, team. And then, you know, just from a media standpoint, it should be a fun season as well to see Kay Cunningham in year two and then uh, two super athletic rookies, obviously, and, and Jalen Duran and, and, and Jaden Ivey. So just a lot of excitement, I think, this week. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure. Yeah, there's certainly plenty of excitement from the fan base. There's no doubt about that. I would say that this is, I mean, aside, of course, last season, we had uh, the anticipation of Cade Cunningham coming on. But I think at this point, with, you know, the the further pieces the team has added, you know, particularly in Ivy and Duran, um, also just the ability to field a more functional team, you got another year of, uh, you know, of, of Cade, or excuse me, another summer of development from Cade. And uh, yeah, I think this is the most hotly anticipated Piston season since, Man, goodness knows when. I, I don't think really had quite the same amount of hype for, for Blake Griffin's first full season. I don't think it's a little bit harder to be excited about the Pistons back then. So, yeah, I, I've got to say this is the most excited people have been uh, from from what I've seen in a long, long while. So, yeah, we're talking about this era of excitement, though. Uh, what would you say really is the era in, in the organization going into the season compared to prior seasons? Like, I know you got started uh, right before the COVID season, if I remember correctly. And, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's uh, yeah, what what's the air in, air in the organization like? For, you know, versus that season and versus going into last season. I think there is a greater sense of this roster just feels more complete. Um, you know, of course, Blake Griffin after he was bought out, um, there was just sort of that thirty whatever million dollar paperweight on the on the cap situation, and it really hurt the team from a depth standpoint. 
obviously season before uh, where he was uh, brought out midway through the season. Uh, he wasn't really playing uh, where he, he needed to be at, you know, which led to his departure. And that season as well just didn't really have the depth because so much of your cap sheet's just being absorbed by one player who's not contributing. So uh, what Troy said on Monday, I think, uh, summed up the situation pretty well. Uh, they have a full complement of players. Uh, the young talent on the roster is pretty stacked. Uh, you have 10 players on the main roster, 24 years old or younger. You have your original 2020 draft class. Uh, Alfredo's first-round picks, Killian, Sadiq, and Isaiah, obviously, are in year three. And I think when a player gets into year three, that's when they start to transition from young player more into something resembling a vet. So you expect step forwards from those players. Uh, you know, of course, Cade Cunningham is Cade Cunningham. I think everybody um, you know, expects that he's on a star trajectory or he, he needs to be for this team to um, snap that playoff draw, obviously. And then you just have good vets, too. I mean, Alec Burks and Alex Noel, uh, they haven't really participated in camp this week because of some lingering injuries, but they should be good to go uh, during the season. And I think they raised the floor. Uh, and then the Boyan Bogdanovic trade, you know, which I'm sure we'll talk about a lot, uh, but that is the type of wing that they just didn't have last season. And he's going to uh, be a pretty key player for the team as well. So I think you just look at the roster and there's just a sense that uh, we've finally kind of gotten out of the doldrums and we can uh, feel a competitive team on the floor. And they're not talking about the playoffs quite yet, but I think there's a sense that they've plugged a lot of the holes that this roster had and, and this team is a step closer to getting to that point. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that, that's great to hear. It's definitely been, I mean, I can use the, the word excitement over and over again. It's definitely just been really exciting seeing this, you know, seeing the steps taken. And, you know, it's put it this way. Obviously, we, you know, the Pistons finally, well, did not have, let's put it this way, the Pistons did not have the greatest management for quite some time. I mean, that was, that was before you joined the team, of course. So, I you know it's really been a blessing for the fans and probably the organization as well, of course, to have Troy Weaver in charge. So, yeah, it's, it's just been super exciting to see the team take very competent and patient steps toward fielding the right kind of team. So, yeah, in terms of, uh, literally, what do you perceive as the goal? you know, the goal of the organization for this, uh, for this upcoming season. I mean, I know it's, it's not necessarily pushing for the playoffs. I know development, of course, is going to be a big thing, but yeah, I, I suppose if this isn't too vague of a question, you know, yeah. What do you, what do you think are really the organizational focuses for the, for the upcoming season? I think, you know, this is sort of broad, but they, they, they want to see progress. They want to see a step forward. Uh, you know, they, they don't necessarily want to see, you know, a team, you know, win 20 games or 23 games like last season again. Uh, you know, of course, like if you have injuries or whatever, then uh, you just adjust expectations accordingly. Mm-hmm. But uh, you want to see signs that this rebuild is is, is paying off. Uh, you want to feel good that your lottery picks are the players and your first round picks in general, uh, not to count out Sadiq and Isaiah, but um, that those players are a young core that's good enough to grow into the roles you need them to play uh, to eventually become a con- contender, you know, which means Kate Cunningham is your, um, franchise player, uh, you're seeing Sadiq Bay uh, take greater steps toward becoming an above-average starting forward. Uh, you're seeing Isaiah Stewart knock down threes and uh, still being a guy who can switch and defend smaller players, which is extremely valuable in the playoffs. Um, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran are both rookies, obviously, so the expectations mm-hmm. aren't as high, but you want to feel good that both of those players are uh, players who were worthy of being picked when they were selected. You know, Of course, they were really high on Jalen Duran has taught him as a top five talent as well. Uh, so I think that speaks to just how high they are on him and how good they think he, he can be long term. Uh, you want to just see a lot of things begin to gel. And I think 
a lot of the focus is on the young players. Uh, you're in a situation next summer where they're going to have a lot of cap space and a lot of that will probably be absorbed by um, some of the extensions that they're going to give up. But even beyond that, you're in a place now where you see a step forward from the young players this season. You have vets that can kind of keep things afloat. You're not going to next summer and you can kind of dictate your future with a lot of money you'll have at hand. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is a, a transitionary season, you know, in the, in, the, in the sense that you want to start to see this team show signs of actually being good. And even though I think fans have been happy with what they've seen in the last season and a half, embracing the young movement, we haven't necessarily seen signs of this team being good. I think we saw it towards the end of last season a little bit, but there's still a lot more that they have to show to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, there are definitely steps to be taken. And yeah, I've said it over and over and over again on the show. Like, it, you know, I, I recognize just like anybody else that, you know, if you're going to be bad, you want to be really bad. And, you know, I didn't mind it with the Pistons. It absolutely, you know, there was, it was the way to go. You know, I was fully in favor of it. It was, it was the way to go, you know, just to, to really not be good for a couple of years. And especially toward the end of the season, and this is where it got a little bit of excruciating, a little bit excruciating, uh, just try to lose as many games as you can, which for me was pretty much just turned into an extremely stressful player of me watching these games and, and looking at this team that I really like to cheer for and be like, please lose, please lose. Are they going to be able to lose this game? <laughs> and it's like, you know, and it turned out well, of course. Uh, but I'm looking. I'm hoping to not uh, to not do that again this season. So, uh, something uh, that I'm curious about is the Pistons have some better veterans in the team this season. You know, and, and Bogdanovich, of course, who who's new to the team, and Alec Burks, who's who's definitely going to be useful for Spacer too. Maybe even in Nerwin's Noel. And I'd say Bogdanovich especially brings up this question. Uh, you know, if the Pistons is there going to be maybe a balance that they have to find between uh, getting some minutes for these veterans uh, versus getting minutes for the young players? I think there will be. Uh, Dwayne Casey hinted uh, at media day that they weren't going to be as tolerant of youthful mistakes uh, as they were uh, the past couple of seasons. So I think that that hints that um, expectations have risen, uh, which they should. Uh, you know, the 2020 class is entering year three and Kate is in year two. So I think it's natural to um, expect fewer mistakes as time passes. But I think last year we saw situations where uh, Dwayne's rotation was dictated by availability rather than mm-hmm. necessarily uh, some positional battle happening and uh, just through attrition we see a better player um, end up earning those minutes. It happened at, at times. I think we saw it early on with Hami um, sort of playing his way back to ro- into the rotation after falling out of it. But yeah. then you also have stretches of the season where uh, Trey Lyles is playing center just because we have no depth and mm-hmm. – um, and you just don't have the depth you really need to um, hold guys accountable as much as you would want to. So I think I think you have that this year. I think when you have a guy like Boyan uh, Bogdanovic, if Isaiah Livers is having an off night, uh, you don't still have to play Isaiah Livers, you know, 25 minutes. And I mean, he shot 42% from three. I'm not saying there's going to be a lot of nights where he's not going to be knocking down shots. But just as an example, I think he gives Dwayne that leeway. And I think that that's something that the teams wanted uh, even in, in the past, it just hasn't had because of those depth issues. Mm-hmm, definitely. I mean, would you say, and especially when it comes to Bogdanovich, I mean, would you say that that the minutes are his to lose? I would, I would lean towards saying that for sure. Uh, it's just seeing his body of work. Uh, you know, the fact that he averaged eighteen a game last year for a, a true shooting of sixty percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's by far the most proven offensive player on this team, and he still has a good chance to. Um, you know, be their most efficient player next season as well. Uh, you know, I think Cade had a, a good rookie season, some big show, um, you know, steps that he could become that type of scorer. But 
neither of them were that efficient. So to have a veteran who comes in and that's a player he already is, um, it's just tough to see a lot of players beating him out for minutes unless a lot of guys make leaps, I think, next season. Gotcha. But you think when it comes to players, like I would say especially Alec Burks, and I mean we've got Corey Joseph to think about as well. Of course, he had a lot of minutes last season. Uh, I would say, as I understand it, primarily just to, because he was a guy who could do the job of playing second secondary handler for Cade. I mean, would you say that Bogdanovich is primarily really is the real veteran who's going to whose minutes are going to be his to lose, and that it's really going to be much more of a competition when it comes to to Burks, Corey Joseph? I think you could say that Bogdanovich is just the most proven veteran on the roster as far as being um, a really effective starter uh, for yeah. some really good playoff teams when he was in in Utah. Uh, none of the other vets on the team have really had that type of road that Boyan had, um, you know, which mm-hmm. makes it more of a achievement that the Pistons were able to get him without giving up a whole lot. But uh, yeah, just his resume, his body of work, uh, just his efficiency last season. Uh, yeah. I mean, no one on the roster had has had a, as good of an offensive season that he had last year. So I, oh, yeah. I would say that he's probably uh, maybe a little bit higher in the pecking order. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I guess let's veer off a little bit off course here onto the, just the Boyan trade. Uh, you know, what were your impressions of that? And uh, why do you think that Utah really made this trade to give away? Uh, I mean, we, we all know that, that Utah, of course, is trying to be as bad as possible as they should. But uh, why do you think that this was the trade that ultimately ended up happening with uh, just them basically taking Kelly Olenek? And I think Saban Lee was just a throw-in for salary purposes. And uh, yeah, why, why do you think that, that it happened this way, that the Pistons were able to, to get Boyan in exchange for very what, what amounts to very little with all, with all respect to Kelly Olenek? Yeah, I mean, I think Utah probably wasn't getting the offers that they wanted. Um, you know, I know that, you know, they have Danny Ainge now, and Danny Ainge was in Boston when uh, Kelly Olenek was, was drafted by Boston, I believe, back in 2013. Uh, mm-hmm. Not the date for that draft wrong, you can correct me, but I think it was around then. And, um, you know, I think for uh, Utah, just putting Boyan in a situation where um, he'll kind of really help this Pistons team, which is ahead in their rebuild, and then Utah is and theirs, theirs obviously just uh, begun um, this past offseason. Um, you know, it's a, a, a puzzling trade. You know, I can't, you know, make complete sense of it, you know, from Utah's standpoint, but I do think that they think highly of Kelly Olenek, and Boyan is in a better situation, and um, Saban shot an opportunity to compete in campus show what he should do as well. So uh, it's a lopsided trade in, in, in Detroit's favor, but I think that's some of the thinking that went into it. Definitely. And uh, this is just a, my own personal curiosity here. Uh, did you get a chance at all to, to get to know Kelly Olenek uh, in his one season in Detroit? Because I'm told he's just a super cool guy. Yeah, we got to know him a little bit uh, last season. and He, he is a, a really cool guy. Uh, he, I think him and Saban both were uh, players who were really beloved on this Pistons team, and that's kind of the uh, by the scenes aspect of it, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's tough for players to see beloved guys like that go. But um, I think on on the court, it's obvious why the Pistons did that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's just that part of the business, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, let's move on to major season storylines. So, what would you say are the major, really, the major season storylines uh, for people to watch at this point? For yeah, people the, to be looking for. No, no doubt. I think the big one is just uh, Kate Cunningham. What does he look like going from year one uh, to year two? I think he really met a lot of the expectations that were set for him last season, uh, just growing into that primary playmaker role. You know, we saw a lot of nights where he was able to take over games in the fourth quarter, uh, which is a rare quality for any player to have. 
let alone the 20 year rookie. Um, mm-hmm. But where does he go from here? Uh, he only shot 31% from three last year. Is he able to improve that? Uh, you know, I think ideally as a, uh, a leading wing, you want to see him at least 34, 35. So uh, you want to see that take up. Uh, could he just improve his overall efficiency? I know he had the, the slow start with the ankle injury, but, um, you know, I think it's just really hard to be a number one option in the NBA uh, with the percentages he shot last year. So you definitely want to see those go up. Uh, you know, and then there's just some, some of the rookie stuff he dealt with as far as turnovers or wearing down at the ends of some games. But you definitely want to see him um, con- continue to improve and continue to uh, step into that franchise, play a role. Uh, kind, of, kind of touched on it earlier. I think the storylines are just Sadiq. I mean, he had 50 ball last year. Uh, he kind of uh, shifted from spot-up shooter to more of an on-ball creator. Um, like Kate, he had a really uh, slow start to the uh, season, but once his numbers picked up, he actually um, averaged about 17, 18 a game with pretty good efficiency, um, I think particularly after that, that Boston win in, in February. So Katie maintained that. Um, you have two rookies, Jaden Ivey and, and, and Jalen Duran, and I think probably expectations are a bit higher for Ivey, um, you know, just given that. He's a little bit older and was also drafted higher. I was expecting to go top four, and he went fifth. Mm-hmm. What does Ivy look like just from a, this is the guy that we're going to play next to Kate, you know, hopefully for the next decade. Um, you know, and these are the, um, this is the backcourt that ideally will lead us back into championship con- contention. Uh, if you want to see something from Ivy as a rookie, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a tough for me personally to kind of um, figure out what to expect from Ivy just because he is so athletic and, Right. Um, there's other parts of his game that weren't as consistent last season. So what part will, will we see? Mm-hmm. But he's so athletic that he's just going to be able to impact games off that alone. So, um, And then just the potential for him to be a highlight real factor as well. The pieces of that hat, that type of backcourt guy. Um, maybe in bits and pieces, we'll buy him some nice dunks. Homies has some nice <laughs> oh, dunks. but Bynamites, yeah. Forgot about that but, guy. Nah, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I used to love watching them. But they haven't just had like that super uber athletic young point guard like they now have in, in, in Jaden Ivey. And I think that's going to be a very different uh, dynamic to see for this fan base. So top, top of mind for me, it just all revolves around the young guys and how they continue to step into the roads that business need to beat them, beat them to be in. I think that's probably the main overarching storyline for next season. Gotcha. Makes sense. And I mean, yeah, you talked about Kate, you talked about Ivy. Let's talk about a player who's uh, definitely been very polarizing so far. And that's Killian Hayes going into I mean, it would, it would be in my opinion, I'm sure you have a better handle on this, but well, I guess it's probably more of a universal thing, at least amongst the, the group of rookies right now has, number of group of young players, excuse me, has probably the most approved, you know, because you got Isaiah and Sadiq who have, who have really been able to demonstrate their value a great deal more, whereas Killian's really still working to establish his. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, I think when you come in and you're a young guard, uh, seventh overall pick, you come in with high expectations, and uh, based on the expectations for a seventh overall pick, you know, I don't think it's controversial to say that he's fallen short of that. Um, really good defender, uh, perhaps the best on-ball defender on the team, and also the the best passer. And I do think feel like those things kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes because there are, are roles in the NBA for guards who can really defend and really move the ball. And I think that Killian can find a role by doing those things. But offensively, you do need to see a, a little bit more. Uh, he, he tweaked his, his three-point release. And I think just knocking down more three-pointers uh, next season is uh, probably going to be the swing skill for him, uh, just given that he will be playing off of Cade. And now also he'll be playing off of, of Jaden Ivey, so he's got to bring something to the table offensively when the ball is not in his hands. Uh, so 
he's aware that, you know, the uh, team's preached that tour pretty much since he got uh, to the team. Um, so, you know, it's one thing to work on it, another thing to actually do it in practice. But given that he is already a really good defender and a really good passer, I think if he can just knock down open threes, I'll go a long way toward uh, securing his, his, his place long term in the NBA. Yeah, I would say so. I definitely agree. If he can just get that shot down and, and be a reliable, like, high 30s shooter, then yeah, you couple that with his, his excellent basketball IQ, really his high caliber passing and his defense, I think that'll be enough to keep him there. Now, the question, of course, if he doesn't get that shot together, you know, what does his future in the NBA look like, if at all? So you see players uh, like Marcus Smart, Bruce Brown, uh, Gary Payton II, um, who are not great shooters. Well, Gary Payton, Payton II, I think, uh, shot, shot, shot the ball better than those other two guys last season. But uh, Marcus Smart, Derek White, uh, Bruce Brown, none of those guys are necessarily uh, knock-down three-point shooters. Uh, you know, we, like they can knock them down, but they're not necessarily guys who are going to be shooting uh, five, six, seven a game at a high percentage. But – uh, they bring other intangibles, in whether it's defense, um, just hustle plays. Uh, you know, I think Mark Parker Sparks, one of the, the NBA's best uh, emotional leaders on the floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are ways you could make up for that. And I think especially in the playoffs, um, you, you need players who can hound Steph Curry. Uh, you know, you, you, you need those small guards who can hound the opposing ball handlers, and that's really, really valuable to have. And there's no reason why Killian shouldn't be able to occupy that role even if he ends up topping out as like a 32, 33% shooter, I think his defense and his passing can keep him um, a pretty valuable player uh, for playoff teams, whether it's starter or uh, defensive specialist, whatever it is. You know, I think that his archetype fits in the NBA. Uh, for him, it's just incrementally improving his ability to, to, to score the ball and make up the, the gap because um, there are nights where Marcus Smart's a bit of a liability. You see the same from Bruce Brown and some other guys too. So you've got to make up for it with everything else that you do. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say those guys are, in my opinion, also definitely helped by, in Smart's case, playing next to Brown and Tatum or just two, two great creators in the wing. And, and uh, with Bruce Brown, of course, playing next to Kevin Durant and when he's playing Kyrie Irving. <laughs> and that's, and that's also a great point. You know, it's, I, I, I think it's a luxury to have, uh, you know, for con- contending teams when you already have your uh, main guys kind of locked down. Um, yeah. You know, I guess if you did the hierarchy for Boston, uh, Marcus Smart would be pretty high on the list. But, you know, I, like obviously everything's running through Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So even if Killian doesn't get to that tier with the Pistons, he can still be a really viable player for the Pistons. And uh, the bigger thing for them is hoping that Kay, Jaden, Sadiq, those guys can get to that um, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum team for the team to really win games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, but uh, you, know, you know, I hope you're right about Killian. Definitely, I've I've got my doubts as to if, if he's really gonna uh, likely to stick in the NBA if he can't shoot. But who knows? Definitely, it's uh, he'd have to. I feel like he'd have to be really good at everything else, though, in order to in order to make that work. But uh, I hope that's the case. You know, I, I hope he's gonna make it with the Pistons. Seems like a really good dude. You know, well liked by his teammates. Definitely a very smart player. And you know, I, I think there's a real good NBA player in there if he can get it together. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, you know, I think he has a very natural feel for the game. And, um, you know, and he's got decent touch on his free throws, too. So he's got all the, you know, signs that he can put it together as far as being a good three-point shooter. Uh, but, you know, again, uh, he's put a lot of work into it. And uh, he's got to actually do it in, in, in live game action, which we haven't seen consistently. So I think that's probably his big storyline for next season is how he shoots the ball. Yeah. Now, speaking of a guy who has to shoot the ball, I'm I'm eventually going to be stuck in a meme for this probably because I keep bringing the guy up. Uh, this is Hamadou Diallo. I'm kind of like a little bit of a Hamadou stand in that I think he could be a really good player in the NBA if he can get that shot together. 
And Dwayne Casey did bring up at, you know, I think it was a few days ago, actually, yeah, media day, excuse me, that, oh, we don't need Hamadou to shoot, which is something that I kind of disagree with a little bit. I feel like Hamadou being able to shoot at a reliable level is the difference between him being possibly, you know, a good starter on a contender and maybe having some trouble really sticking in the NBA at all, or at least playing in the postseason. Uh, yeah, what, what, what are your thoughts on that as far as Hamadou's upside as a shooter? I think as far as him getting to the point to where he's a starter on a, a good team, the shooting is probably his swing skill. Um, I think there's a lot of things that Hami's very naturally good at. Uh, he's probably uh, the best just pure jumper on the entire roster. And he knows how to weaponize that. So mm-hmm. he, he rebounds really well for his size. Um, you know, he, he knows that it needs to be an, an outlet and a transition. And he's a pretty active cutter. Um, and when he's locked in, he could be a really great defender as well. You know, and those are all um, useful skills for him. Uh, earlier this week, Dwayne Casey said that he wants Hami to be Hami. He's not putting pressure on him to hit three threes a game or shoot at a 39% clip. But, um, you know, for him to get to the point to where he's playing big minutes, you know, for uh, championship teams, he's probably going to have to shoot the ball a little bit better than he has been. Uh, just because, I mean, we're usually seeing teams go with rosters uh, or lineups with at least four shooters yeah. in, in, in today's NBA. Uh, you know, I think it's hard to uh, win, win games if you don't have enough spacing on the floor unless you have a guy like Giannis or whoever it may be. And not that the Milwaukee Bucks struggle for spacing, but uh, it's pretty hard to overcome. Yeah. Well, they have to surround Giannis with four shooters in the playoffs. Otherwise, things go wrong. Definitely. Yeah. That's why well, you got Brooke Lopez and Bobby Portis out there. And uh, yeah, I feel like, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't feel like the chances are very high. I mean, you look at just at the history of players in the NBA and guys who didn't shoot it to uh, didn't shoot it very well at all in college, didn't shoot, haven't shot it very well in the NBA through a significant number of years and really struggled from the free throw line. Like uh, I would really love it if he gets it together. And I recognize that the chances probably are not, are not too high, but I, I just think that would be huge. For the also, I just love Amadou. And this is the guy, like you said, super athletic and, and just seems to play with a lot of fire. Like, uh, yeah, but you, I'm, I'm sure you were in attendance at, at the, the New Year's day game against the Spurs. It was my favorite game of the season. When, yeah. Uh, that's the one where he yeah. went off, right? Yeah. Yeah. He went off and Sadiq hit that shot. Uh, right near the end of overtime. And it was kind of like the sort of like Jeeps versus Giants sorts of thing, you know. Like, the, you know, the Spurs were missing some guys too, but this was a, a Pistons lineup with just Sadiq and, and Hamadou were the only real NBA players there up against a decent roster. And uh, and then a bunch of misfits, you know, and they grinded it out and they got the win. Yeah, I mean, Hamadou, he's a gamer. Uh, he's a, a, a gamer. It's cool to see him get into a groove that game and uh, kind of be in the spotlight. Um you know, he's, he's an interesting spot this season. Uh, you have a, a lot of guys competing for minutes at the forest class, whether it's Sadiq, Isaiah Livers, who I think we'll see a lot more of this year. Uh, they just traded for Boyan. Mm-hmm. And then you have Alec Burks as well, who's just going to give this team um, a major boost as far as shooting. So um, they want Hobby to stay in his role, but he's going to have to, I think, really, truly be great in that role to secure his spot because there's going to be a, not a lot of competition there. Yeah, definitely a ton of competition for minutes. I mean, you could see, like, I know that Corey Joseph is, even his role last season was never assured, but, uh, you know, I feel like he's going to be at the bottom, probably the bottom of the rotation guy. I may not play too many minutes. Now, I like to bring up Kojo on the show because I feel like he takes a lot of undeserved flack from, uh, you know, from, from a lot of Pistons fans, probably because nobody really wanted to see him in the starting lineup last year. But uh, from, from everything uh, I've read from you, uh, you know, from others, it seems like Kojo is just like a dude who will always do whatever he can to help the team, even if probably I, I feel like in there were a couple of games 
last season or one in particular in which Saban was playing well. And then Corey, I got the impression might've even gone to gone to coach Casey and said, you know, just bench me and let this guy play the game. I mean, coach, it just seems like a super, super team first Tyler professional guy who's really liked by his teammates. I would agree with that. Um, he's very much a team first guy. Uh, he is beloved by his teammates. Uh, he's really embraced being a uh, mentor type to Killian Cade. Uh, there are the young guys. I actually talked to um, Cade's trainers, his, his brother, Cannon, and then his cousin, Ashton, who a lot of Pistons fans are uh, familiar with on uh, Twitter, um, mm-hmm. but just about Cade's offseason workouts. So, uh, Cannon mentioned kind of offhandedly that he was excited to see Corey Joseph uh, pick up that player option and, and come back, um, you know, just given that all oh, Corey's done to kind of make life easier, not just for Cade, but uh, for the, the other players as well. So I thought it was in- interesting that in the question that really didn't have anything to do with Corey, uh, he made a point to mention that he thought Corey being back was going to be good for K. So uh, Trey talks about it a lot. And, you know, I don't know if fans always really appreciate it the way that they should. But when you're a team and you're rebuilding and you have a lot, a lot of young guys who uh, could really still be in college, it's just good to, you know, have veterans who have been around the block um, that you don't necessarily have to coach up. Uh, they can just kind of maintain and especially veterans like Corey and like Rodney Magruder, uh, who really want to be here in Detroit, um, who really like you know playing for Dwayne Casey, and have really embraced uh, sort of mentoring the young players and helping them get to where they need to go. Um, sometimes with young teams, you see that they have chemistry issues, or um, you know you see guys get in uh, trouble, and the Pistons haven't really had that. And I think that the veterans have certainly played a pretty big role in that as well. Yeah, yeah. When this rebuild first began, I mean, I. I, you know, I learned a lot from the first year of that rebuild, pretty much, where I, I just thought going in this back in 2020, when the Pistons signed Jeremy Grant and signed Mason Plumlee, I'm like, well, especially Grant, you know, Plumlee, I knew going in was probably going to be one of the worst starting centers in the league, but I was like, man, why not just be as bad as you possibly can, just fill the roster and, you know, composed entirely of young players and, and whatever. And I, I definitely learned over the course of that season, the value of having those veterans on the team. Yeah. You mentioned Magruder also, his teammates, everybody seems to love that guy. Yeah, no, Rodney is uh, truly beloved on, on, on this team. I think he's had a good relationship with Troy Weaver for a long time as well. Um, and he could play. I mean, we saw him last season come in, and uh, he had a really good season uh, shooting the ball well from uh, three. So you just need those sort of jack-of-all-trades veterans, uh, you know, who are good in the locker room but also good on the floor as well. You know, I think I think Rodney's the exact player who kind of fits what the, the Pistons want in their yeah. veterans. And, hey, he proved Clay Thompson wrong. You know, he's still here. He did. Yeah, he's yeah, still he did. here. He did. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to a guy, for example, like Corey Joseph, though, uh, do you think that he's going to find any place in the rotation this season if there aren't injuries? I think there will be a role for him. I think, you know, because he shot the ball so well last season and um, just in my mind, how I kind of see the top 10 of this kind of roster hierarchy playing out. Um, I do think that they're um, – could be a role for Corey Joseph. Uh, you know, if we'll see Corey Joseph every single night, depending on matchups or whatnot, uh, I don't know. But I still think he finds his way on the Florida season. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a good place for us to segue into lineups. So it's a fairly packed rotation, I feel like, going into the season. You know, between uh, Bogey, uh, Bagley, Cade, Burks, Noel, uh, Ivy Hayes, uh, Diallo, Kojo, uh, Duran, Stewart, and Bay, really, and Livers, all guys who could get minutes. I mean, you're probably going to see less, I would imagine, uh, you know, be at, more be at the end of the lineup for guys like Magruder and Knox. But yeah, this is, and I know Duran's going to probably have to have to earn his time 
but there are just a lot of guys here who could see minutes. I mean, this is this is not a team of like eight or nine guys, and then after that, you know, whatever. So I'm I'm curious what you think. Well, number one, what the starting lineup is going to look like on opening night, but also what the rotation is going to look like early. Yeah, if I had to uh, take a stab at the starting lineup, I mean, you know, I think we could safely predict that Ken Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, and Isaiah Stewart uh, will 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 start. Uh, you know, those are the um, three core young guys from last season. That, you know, I think they've all shown that they're starting caliber players. Um, I think the the debate probably comes at um, that uh, wing spot in between Cade and Sadiq, and that uh, that other four spot in between Sadiq and Isaiah. Uh, do they go big? Do they prioritize shooting? Do they give Jaden Ivey a shot? And I kind of flip flop on some of it. Uh, if I had to guess now, I would say that I think Jaden Ivey uh, would get the not as a starter, um, at least early in the season. Uh, they gave Kate the opportunity to start. They gave Killian the chance to start. Uh, you know, as long as Jaden has a good cap and, you know, from everything we've heard so far, it sounds like he's been good. Uh, you know, I think they'll give him that opportunity. And if it doesn't work out, then they can make adjustments, but uh, probably give him the benefit of the doubt, if I have to guess. And then I think Boyan starts at the four. I think just his shooting, his experience, uh, he really does a lot for that starting lineup. And the team also just does not have a lot of bigger wings or just bigger players in general uh, who can really knock down the three. And I think for that starting lineup to work, um, you have to have a, a shooter in there. Now, the only other truly proven shooter in the NBA is Sadiq Bay. You know, Isaiah Stewart's going to take more threes, but we don't know how efficient he'll be yet. Uh, Kane shot 31% last year. He should be better next season, but, you know, that's hard to predict. And then Jaden, again, his shooting's a wild card. So I don't see yeah. how you don't start Boyan in that lineup because you just need a knockdown shooter. Yeah, looking back to last season, uh, I feel like when Bagley came into the lineup, it made Cade's life quite a bit easier because you finally had a guy, because up, up to that point, you had not, not only in the starting lineup, but on the roster as a whole, uh, a guy who could run the role at a high level, vertically space the floor, and really finish at a high percentage. And uh, I feel like that was just a big help to Cade by default. You know, the kind of guy that most teams have in the starting lineup in general. Uh, my concern would be that that starting lineup would really lack anything of the sort since Isaiah, you know, is, has a lot of strengths, but I feel like as a role man, not the greatest, can't really vertically space the floor too well and, and struggled last season as a finisher. So uh, do you think that there is any situation in which they would consider starting Bagley at power forward? If Bagley can really shoot the three and they've been talking about him taking more threes this season, uh, then I think it opens the door to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know how much good it does you to have that type of lob threat in the starting lineup um, if nobody can shoot. Uh, so right. you kind of just have to mix and match a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm sure there will be you know points in the in the rotation uh, that Dwayne Casey comes up with where Cade and Marvin's minutes are overlapping, and you do have that lob threat, or you know maybe it's Nerlens or maybe it's Jalen Duran. Uh, so you do have more athletic bigs this year than you had uh, last year. So uh, it doesn't necessarily have to just be Marvin. I think over the course of the game and up the season, K will still have that. But just from a putting it together a starting five, it gives you the best chance to compete. You know, yeah. I think that's that's probably um, one of the first things you part with is just the idea of having a lob threat. Um, you know, it's it's good to have. Uh, my, my personal opinion is that last season, sort of the talk about the lob stuff, um, maybe got a little bit more attention than it needed. Like it was important, but at the same time. Uh, you know, the Pistons were bad just because they were bad. You know, they shot, right. you know, 20, what, 32% for three or whatever. So the, they struggled. The issues that um, kind of went into their their record. So I think they're aware of 
how well Marvin and Kate play together, but you know, at the same time, you still got to have a center that can defend. You still got to have players that can shoot. Oh, sure. You know, you know I think there's going to be some things that kind of get left on the table as well as starting five. Yeah. Oh, my, my feeling on it, then this would definitely require Isaiah to be able to shoot because if Isaiah cannot shoot, then obviously you, you cannot feel badly. My, my vision of it would be that Isaiah would play more of a power forward role on offense. Uh, with Bagley playing, just kind of playing the center role, as, uh, particularly as the role man. And then they'd swap on defense because, yeah, Bagley has absolutely has his struggles on defense as a as an interior defender. But, yeah, I feel like Cade just lives in the high pick and roll. I feel like it's just super helpful to uh, for him to, to to have that high caliber role man, high percentage finisher. But I agree, you can't field like two non-shooters here. Yeah, Definitely. and, you know, and you could also do something like, you know, maybe your first ro- rotation is, um, you know, you, you you sit Ivy and um, Boyan, and then you bring in Marvin, and you bring in Alec Burks, and then you leave Cade out there, and now you're getting a little bit more shooting in the backcourt, and mm-hmm. um, you, you do have that that lap threat um, in the front court, and then it also gives Isaiah a little bit more run as the, uh, you know, you bring him back and he could be the four, or, um, however else you want, you want to do it, you mentioned him, them switch, switching rows as a four and five offense and defense, which I do think we'll see a, a, a lot of, um, and even on defense, uh, you probably may feel more comfortable putting Isaiah on some of the uh, ball hand, handling forwards. And then uh, you just hope that Marvin Bagley can um, be a deterrent at the paint, you know, as much as he can. But either way, I think you can kind of flex the rotation to where you're checking Gano's boxes at different times. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So uh, after that starting five, which, I agree with you. It's probably the likeliest with, you know, as much as I would love a situation in which Isaiah Stewart comes in, can shoot and Bagley comes in and can shoot. Uh, I don't think we're probably going to get the both of them. So uh, let's assume that's the starting lineup then with, with Cade and Ivy Bay, uh, Boyan and Isaiah Stewart. Uh, that leaves us quite a few guys out on the bench to, to still find minutes for between Burks, Noel, uh, Killian Hayes, Diallo, Corey Joseph. Uh, I'm definitely missing people here. Oh yeah. Isaiah Livers. I mean, how we at what point basically? How long do you think it's going to be into the season until we get the lineup or the, really that rotation set? Are we just going to see like maybe six, seven guys playing off the bench to start? I can see um, maybe a deeper rotation to start just to give players opportunities to show what they can do. Uh, Killian Hayes probably still runs the second unit. You know, I think we see Alec Burks come off the bench once he's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a pretty significant role, just given that he's a career. 38% shooter. Uh, same with Isaiah Livers. I think you really need the, the shooting. And, um, he really came more strong once he was healthy last season, and he was good in summer league. So I think Isaiah Livers has shown enough to um, secure a pretty good role next season. Uh, we talked about Marvin Bagley. You know, I see him being, um, if there's a nine-man rotation, maybe it's those four guys. And then if there's a tough, um, there's an argument for Hami, um, you know, just for a little bit more athleticism, rebounding. Uh, defense. There's an argument for Corey as well. Um, you know, just given that um, you probably want two ball handlers on the court. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I think the way our talks about having two ball handlers on the court at all times, and you know, between K, Jaden, Killian, and Corey, you know, I think they they could do that that season pretty easily. Um, so maybe Hami or Corey gets that that last spot, uh, depending on matchups. But you can make that argument either way. You know, if you want to prioritize shooting a ball handling, you go with Corey. If you just want a little bit more athleticism, a little bit more energy, uh, you go with Hami. So that could very much be matchup defended. Yeah, and that of course leaves Nerlens Noel and, and Jalen Duran. Is yeah, in, in that rotation, you got Hamadou in there, you got Corey Joseph in there. You're probably moving Bagley up to up to center. And 
yeah. So there's yeah, there's the question about uh, about where Nerlens Noel might fit in, and of course where I'm sure the organization hopes Jalen Duran will fit in. Yeah, you know, I think that's probably um, you know when things really get tough with the rotation um, is do you go big um, or can this roster even play big when none of your centers are currently on the roster have proven that they can shoot in the NBA. You know, I think if Isaiah Stewart uh, can really knock down threes, it opens the door to a seeing Durlings and Duran more. Uh, but if Isaiah Stewart is not shooting the ball well, Marvin Bagley also is not shooting the ball well, uh, can you really justify having Nerlens and Duran in the rotation as well? Mm-hmm. Uh, which would necessitate at times during the game that you're probably playing two non-shooting bigs together, which, you know, of course, you obviously want to avoid. So when I look at the rotation, I think I think Durlins and Duran, uh, one or both of them really have to be playing at a high level uh, to secure their spots in this rotation, just in my mind, just because it's tough to see how you uh, have three or four true bigs in this rotation when you still need shooting as well. Gotcha. So your belief is that Marvin Bagley will ultimately be the, the center for the bench unit? I believe so. I think the, the scoring okay. and rebounding he brings, the chemistry he showed with Killian and Kate last year, and then also the fact that he just signed a fully guaranteed two-year um, extension. Uh, auto size point to him uh, being a pretty significant player this season. Gotcha. All right, cool. So uh, let's move on and, and talk about some training camp impressions. Unfortunately, I'm about 800 miles away. Well, I wouldn't have been able to attend anyway, but I'm not anywhere close, but that way, and you're very close uh, being able to attend all this stuff. So I'd love to hear your impressions. Uh, anything that really sticks out has stuck out to you so far. First, a quick word from our sponsor. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. For example, if you wanted to bet on the Lions against the Patriots this upcoming Sunday. To make things even sweeter, you can throw it on a stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet in any football game. That's code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, and official sports betting partner of the NFL. We know a major knowledge restrictions applies. He's showing us for details. Yeah, honestly, uh, I'm going to go back to the uh, school analogy I used earlier, but it's just a lot of uh, catching up, getting a feel for where guys are. Uh, this week, uh, you haven't really heard anything bad, I would say. Like, I would say probably the biggest downside is that Netherlands and um, Alec Burks and Kevin Knox are all a little um, dinged up right now. So there's there's time where Alec Burks and Netherlands would be getting rubber players, and they're, and they're not. So there's going to be a, a transitionary period for them uh, once they do get healthy where uh, they're still going to have to sort of develop that chemistry. So. Um, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, especially if Burks, I think he's going to be reevaluated like two days before the regular season starts. Is he good to go? Does he need more time? Because uh, now you're looking at maybe more opportunity for Hami being created early in the season, which uh, could help him kind of secure his role. Um, so really for me, I think it's just more so, um, you know, just seeing which guys are performing well, which guys are uh, maybe on a longer timeline and, how that early ro- ro- rotation will shake out, you know, and then obviously Tuesday uh, when they tip off preseason, uh, will give us far more information on, on where guys are right now. But I think the first week of camp is just so much of um, players just getting acclimated and, uh, you know, just a, a lot, of, lot of talk on catching up the off season and um, just setting expectations for the upcoming year. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, have, uh, have we heard anything about like any tidbits you've heard in particular that are particularly interesting? I know we've heard about Killian tweaking his shot. You mentioned that earlier in the show. And uh, like, yeah, of course, with, with somebody like Ivy, it's just, you know, you're coming into the NBA. Somebody like Duran, you just come into the NBA. Obviously, yeah, there's, there may not be too much there. We've heard about Sadiq and, you know, some. some yeah, you know, they've, 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 the they've talked to Killian Hayes. And, yes. You know, just the confidence he's played with. Uh, you know, I know at the end of last season, they talked to him about just playing some pickup basketball, boosting up, getting that competition there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think he just kind of has some ground to make up, uh, you know, especially since he uh, was drafted during the pandemic and all that stuff was closed off. So uh, what does a more confident Killian Hayes look like uh, with a revamp jump shot? I think that remains to be seen, but uh, he's certainly somebody who I think has kind of had the microscope on him uh, this week. And then even back to media day he got a couple of a couple of biting questions about his role and whatnot so mm-hmm. uh, he's definitely in you know i think a little, little bit of a prove it situation but at the same time i think being in a situation where you have Cade and you have Jaden ivy who i know a lot of players are excited to play with just because of his athleticism um maybe that could take some of the pressure off of killian this season and uh, we can see what he can do in a, a, a slightly different role uh, you know of course we haven't talked about Cade Cunningham and the extra 15 pounds he's put on. All right, uh, let's hear it. You know, hashtag bustle watch. So, uh, you know, again, it's, it's one of those things where you're in practice, you're in camp media day, and it's a big talking point. But you still have to see what it looks like in practice. Uh, but he does look a little bit bigger in the upper body like, compared to last season. Um, and I think the main thing with him is just that he talked about um, during last season, it's hard to maintain your weight because you're – Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, you're you're playing games, you're you're practicing, you're just so physically active that burn a lot uh, of calories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're you're constantly burning calories. So just for him eating next season, maintaining his weight, um, yeah, like I think mostly it's just seeing how that translates as far as his effectiveness throughout you know in, entire game. Do they have to spell him during games as we saw last season just to keep him fresh, mm-hmm. uh, just from a conditioning and being able to handle the wear and tear of the season standpoint. Um, how much does that prepare him? But I think having a, a, a full off season, of course, um, should position him well in that area. Sadiq, you know, of course, he spent time in Colorado, and uh, he said he's about the the same weight. Uh, I thought he looked a little bit different when I saw him, but uh, you know, again, with with him, they just talk about his role, him getting better at some of the things we saw last season, whether it's being uh, an on ball an on ball creator, uh, seeing those passing reads, getting to the rim. Uh, you know, improving footwork and touch and whatnot. Um, he's not one to really talk about necessarily specifics of what he does. He's more so, um, you know, the, the, the guy who says he works on everything, but we know he could, could shoot. I think now it's just seeing what he can do beyond that at a high level. And, um, you know, again, like we were talking to Isaiah Stewart yesterday, and Isaiah sounded like he had been uh, pretty impressed with what he's seen from Sadiq so far. So uh, just got to see how, how that plays out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, for the most part, Spotlight's just been on the young guys and them just continuing the signs they showed last season. So uh, that's really been the big talking point in camp this week. Gotcha. And this is completely random. Like uh, you mentioned, Kevin Knox, he was a little bit of a surprise signing. Uh, really, what was behind that? And I mean, I, I would imagine he's probably as close to as close as can be to the 15th man right now. But, uh, you know, what about Kevin Knox, really? I mean, he's, he's had a rough road in the NBA so far, but what about Kevin Knox when it comes to the Pistons? Yeah, you know, I think it's similar to uh, what we saw with Jaleel Okafor and Dennis Smith Jr. and uh, Trey Lyles and Marvin Bagley, where Trey Weaver likes to 
um, get his hands on recent lottery picks who haven't uh, really shown um, the reasons why they were drafted in the lottery. Um, I think I think Trey likes to uh, take dark throws on those players and get them to the Pistons system, uh, the Pistons player development program, and basically just gambling a lot of the resources that they've invested in that uh, since he, he took over. Yeah, um, can pay off, and you can get these players in, and you know you get them cheaply, and get their confidence back up, reinvigorate them, uh, hold them to a high standard, and see if there's anything that they can show. Um, Kevin Knox is on a pretty cheap deal, so if it doesn't work out, it doesn't impact their financials at all. Really, uh, they have so much yeah. cap room next season and beyond that <laughs> you know it's, um, his contract is a, a, a drop in the bucket. Uh, but he does on paper give this team something he needs, and that's just being a little bit of a bigger wing who can defend multiple positions and then knock down threes. Now that's obviously a theory. Uh, he hasn't done those things yet, but, uh, you know, I think the Pistons just kind of see it as a, why not, right? You know, he was drafted for a reason. He showed those things in college. Um, you know, we don't need him to be Tracy McGrady. We need him to come in and defend and knock down shots. And if he can do that, he's an NBA player. So, um, you know, we've seen with certain guys in the past that hasn't worked out, but, you know, I think that's something that's going to be a tenant uh, for this front office is to continue doing that. And yeah. uh, now it's Kevin Knox's turn. And if he can be an adequate defender and an adequate shooter, uh, he'll probably play his way into some some minutes. So Yeah, he's definitely got a much harder road to get another rotation than, than the likes of uh, Josh Jackson or Julio Okafor or anything like that because this is a much deeper roster. But yeah, it was uh, it was definitely definitely surprising. But of course, like you said, it's it's a very very small salary against the cap. Uh, it's a very big salary for all the rest of us. But in the NBA, oh, it's a very small massive. salary. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's move on a little bit. Uh, just uh, something that I that I always like to ask about. So I know that a lot of you know Weaver has really put a lot of effort and, and a lot of focus into building a good locker room, into into drafting good people, into you know signing good people onto the team, just really trying to build. Just try to build a great locker room. And of course, you've got Dwayne Casey, whom you know I, I will often criticize for his on the court coaching, but by all accounts, is just a, a great locker room guy. And and his team, his players have always really loved him. And so, yeah, what's the uh, what's the locker room like for the Pistons? I suppose I just I always like to get some insight into that. Yeah, I mean, it seems like these guys really um, enjoy each other and get along really well. Like I know, um, you know, Saban who just got 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 traded, but uh, he may not have been a player that the average fans thinking about a lot. But uh, he was really really, really loving this team. It's close to everybody, and I think that that's the uh, sort sort of the theme you hear about these guys is that they are pretty close. Uh, you know, we saw Dwayne Casey with some of the young guys um, in uh, Boston during the uh, playoffs. And, yeah, um, you know, it sounds like it was just a little bit more of a impromptu meetup. Wasn't anything that was planned, but they enjoy being around each other. Um, I think they all kind of see themselves as part of a greater whole. And it seems young, too. Like, again, uh, you know, oh, yeah. some of you guys who could still be in college that I think you have, kind of have that sort of, um, in a, a, a good way, some of that college com- camaraderie uh, when you're around a lot of young people your own age and just um, the, the the good vibes that that can kind of naturally pr- produce. So, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier that you really haven't heard or seen anything suggesting that this team has chemistry issues. Um, despite the, the, the losing that they've done. And, you know, I think that speaks to uh, just how much these guys like each other and get along. Yeah, and probably probably Dwayne Casey as well, who I've just, I, I, I would imagine has played an integral role in I mean, 
it, it just not only in addition rather to these players just really liking each other, really like playing with each other. Just uh, I've just been told that his what I've read, of course, that his leadership has also been very integral in keeping the locker room healthy despite a lot of losing over the last couple seasons and just the impact that he has, especially on the youth on the team. Uh, would you mind talking a little bit about, about that? Because like I said, I've, I've had definitely my share of criticism, Casey, as far as how he coaches on the court. But, uh, you know, I've got to hand it to him as far as his ability to run a locker room. Yeah. I, you know, I think Dwayne has been around for a long time, uh, dating back to when he was an assistant with the Seattle Supersonics of the 90s. So he's been around the NBA. He knows how it works. Uh, you know, of course, before he was in Detroit, uh, he was in a similar rebuild situation with uh, the Toronto Raptors. So, uh, you know, he, 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 he gets it. He understands it. Uh, he sees the big picture. You know, I think he enjoys the teaching aspect of basketball, taking young guys in and uh, helping them get to that next step. And even though this front office isn't the one that hired him, he does have a good relationship with the front office as well. And I think they believe in the job he's done and that he could t- continue to be a strong voice in the locker room as his team tries to go from rebuild to compete to eventually contend. So, uh, you know, again, it's not often that we see NBA coaches um, kind of find their voice in organizations where you've seen all of the leadership at the top turnover. You know, I think this this has become a little bit more rare, but, you know, certainly speaks to the job Dwayne has done as far as just giving players opportunities and helping them develop and get to the next step. Yeah. And what do you think Dwayne's future is? I know that he has, uh, if I remember correctly, two more seasons on his contract. Let's see. Uh, he's brought in an... Uh, I'm doing math very poorly. Is it two more or three more seasons on his contract after the one-year extension? I believe he's extended through the 2023-24 season, so he's got next season and then the, the season after. Gotcha. And uh, did you anticipate that he's going to be the coach throughout that entire time? I mean, I know there's been talk of him maybe moving into a front office role. I think he will be. You know, if I had to, to guess now, I think he'll be the head coach through his extension. Uh, you know, after that, it's anyone's guess. You know, I think it'll probably be up to Dwayne to an extent to, uh, you know, see where he's at in his career and what he wants next. But, uh, you know, I certainly get the sense to do it, that they're committed to him for the next two seasons. Gotcha. And uh, just one last question that just comes to mind, just because I love hearing about this kind of thing. Uh, who would you say really are the leaders in the locker room at this point? Because we've got a lot of leaders in this team, which is a great, you know, it's a, not a problem at all. I would say a great problem to have. It's just a great thing to have. You know, I know you've got Cade, who's very much a vocal leader. Uh, you've got Corey Joseph, Magruder, to a degree. Uh, you know, even Bay and Stewart seem to be there. Like, who would you say are really the, vo- at least as of last season, who are really the, or what you're seeing now, who are really the, the vocal leaders and, and the emotional leaders in the locker room? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think you, you just said it. Uh, Cade, for sure, like, kind of came in and found his voice on the, the team pretty quickly. Uh, we just saw how he was able to... Um, talk to guys just on the sideline or, you know, even on the court during others or whatnot, you know, the way he's able to uh, just naturally be that, that, that raw, raw guy, uh, the type of guy that, that, that players look to. Uh, we had Rob Murphy on the, the business post last month and he um, went a little bit further and he said that he would compare Kay to the uh, Jason Kiss, the Mark Browns, uh, those types of leaders who, you know, like mm. you're the point guard, but you're also, um, pretty good by commanding in the locker room as, as well. So Kay's a, a very natural leader for his age. Um, you know, Corey, uh, Rodney McGruder, Rodney McGruder, you know, the vets who have been here, um, you know, for a few seasons now. And um, you see them coaching guys up, you know, before games, during games, uh, you know, the way players talk about them, the way they talk about the team, it's pretty clear that they have a lot of equity in the locker room. 
Um, you know, and I'm curious about Isaiah Stewart too. I'm curious to see if he, you know, I think he has a, the capacity to be um, a really great, particularly emotional leader on yeah. the court, maybe in like that Marcus Smart uh, kind of fiery role. And we've mm-hmm. seen bits and pieces of that, I think, in his first two seasons. But, you know, certainly this season, I think as he um, steps into year three, uh, you know, we know he's a difference maker on defense. He might be able to bring a little bit more on offense as a shooter, um, you know, if he really fully embraces that uh, role as, as well, because I do think there's another tier Isaiah could get to uh, from a leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm. And what about Sadiq? What's his voice in the locker room typically like? You know, I think Sadiq's well uh, respected. You know, I think he's a little bit quieter. He's not necessarily the uh, type of rah-rah presence that Kate is or the emotional guy that Isaiah is as, as well, but uh, you know, I think I think if you ask Dwayne, you would say that Sadiq leads in his own way. Like he's not always going to be like the loudest guy, but you know, he certainly leads by example. Uh, you know, he's probably one of the hardest workers on the uh, team. So uh, yeah, you know, he's the type of guy who can set the tone in his own way. Definitely, yeah. And and the last one, I imagine you've you know everybody's got limited experience with this, but what about Ivy? Uh, what have we heard about him? Yeah, you know, I, you know, he's just a, a, a rookie. You know, like I, you know, don't know if he's quite that type of leader, you know, won the court yet. But the main thing people talk about Ivy is just his athleticism, you know, how fast he is, how high he jumps and just his fire, huh? His fire, you know, how he's going to impact the uh, game. And as far as next season, I think we'll kind of see him. Uh, like we saw Hami last year where he's able to just create plays that naturally get people energized and ready to go. Gotcha. All right. Fantastic. Uh, well, folks, that's going to be it for this episode. Uh, this was Omari Senko for the second of the Detroit Free Press and the Pistons boss. Omari, thank you again for joining the show. It was a pleasure to have you. No, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, man. All right, folks. So as always, thank you for listening. Catch you in the next episode.